When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, another no-brainer money-saving tip from Progressive. It looks like your luggage is over 50 pounds. Is there anything you can take out? Oh, yeah. Let me just toss all these $20 bills. Great. Let me grab you a trash can. Stop. Instead of throwing money away, move some clothes into a carry-on. And here's a better tip from Progressive on how not to waste money. Don't pay too much for car insurance. Drivers who switch and save could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Potential savings will vary. You're listening to the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast with LD and TJ. Can you dig that, baby? (laughs) Hey, guys. Welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD. Along with me for the ride, as always, is TJ. Oh, hey. It has been a week. Yeah. It has been a week. It's raining right now, and I got a job interview, and went to a fancy party, and got some Guinness glasses, but we kind of have a very cryptic announcement. Ooh. Yeah, so you're going to see some- Cryptic. Yeah, you're going to see some changes around here. Not major ones. You'll still be able to find us everywhere, but we have an announcement. We just are waiting for the go-ahead to make the announcement, but it's all very exciting. We're super excited, and you're going to see a couple changes around here, but it is going to be amazing, and we're so excited. So, Hopefully, you will be excited as well. Yes, or at least excited for us. Right. Well, that's (laughs) what I mean, excited for us. Yes. You know. (laughs) Because we're selfish. That's right. (laughs) It's all about us. Yeah. That's why you tune in, right? And the beloved way that we cover some of the most iconic people in music history. Yeah, that. Yeah. All right. So (laughs) sorry to be so cryptic, but I'm about to burst open and I'm so excited. So uh, yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Who are we covering today? Oh, wait. It's my episode. (laughs) It's my episode. I don't know why I'm I'm asking that. Welcome to Sunday, kids. (laughs) Wow. It's been a week. Yeah. It's been a week, man. See previous <sighs> statement. Uh, yeah. Well, are you going to ask me who we're covering then? I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> or I can just leave it in like this because it's funny. It is kind of funny. I should. I hope you do leave this in. I'm going to leave it in just yeah. because you said that. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and tell us then anyways, regardless. Hey, uh, TJ, who are we covering? <laughs> so as you all know, we are covering the day the music died this month which means you guys get an extra episode, which makes you happy. But it leads us to the Big Bopper. I love the Big Bopper. That's who we're covering today. Uh, Hello, baby. Well, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> if you guys don't know Chantilly Lace, we're going to play it at the end of the episode. So just hold tight if you're not really sure about who the Big Bopper is. Yeah. And then you should go listen to it because oh. it's fun. Oh, Sorry, jumping right in. I want to apologize and congratulate you if you made it through the Richie Valens episode, because I don't know if you guys knew it or not, but I was a fighting major allergies. My eyes were watering up the entire episode. I had the worst case of mush mouth ever, and we were dealing with a subject that really scares me to my core. So I was, I'm so sorry if the first part of that episode was really hard to get through, trust me, I know I had to edit it and <laughs> it was a nightmare. And I'm going to go ahead and apologize because I was fighting against like six different elements and it really kind of showed through in the episode. So I'm really sorry. I promise the Buddy Holly episode is going to be so much better. Yeah, my voice was nice and husky that episode from all the allergies. It still kind of is, but not as bad. You don't know how many uh, sniffles? Yeah, I'm sure there was a lot. We were both both just sniffling and going crazy that episode. There was sniffling. There was coughing. So it was just like (laughs) (laughs) like every 30 seconds, which I bet editing that was really fun. (laughs) I imagine. So I'm sorry. Well, hopefully we do better this time. You're going to love it. Yeah. It's going to be great. Yeah. 
I am actually excited about this episode. Um, I didn't know much about him before, other than Chantilly Lace, and that he was in a car in a plane crash. Not a car crash, a plane crash. The day the music died. But I thought it was I I I think you'll enjoy it. I found some interesting tidbits. So so obviously the big bopper, he was an American musician, a songwriter, and a disc jockey, if you didn't know that. I didn't. He was born Giles Perry Richardson Jr., but his friends called him either JP or JP. I'm really excited. Clearly, my episode. Back off. I'm sorry. <laughs> so his friends either called him Jape or JP. And uh, he was born in Sabine Pass, Texas. His father was Giles Perry Richardson Sr., an oil field worker. And his mother was Elise Nay Stolsby. They had two other sons, Cecil and James. So he was... That is such... An old-timey name. Cecil? Yeah. No one ever names their kids Cecil anymore. I like that name. I like it, too. So he was born in Sabine Pass, Texas, but the family soon moved to Beaumont, Texas. Richardson graduated from Beaumont High School in 1947 and played on the Royal Purple football team as a defensive lineman wearing number 85. To the dismay of his father, J.P.'s mother taught him to play the guitar and piano. Many of J.P.'s early songs reflect the loss of his high school love. Despite the fact that he was planning to study pre-law at university, her parents were fearful of his musical aspirations and warned her away from him. Ultimately, they steered her into the arms of a local jewelry store assistant manager whose prospects appeared to be brighter. Womp. (laughs) Poor Richardson. He's already got the diamonds. I'm sure he was lovely, but, uh, you know. (laughs) But he ain't the big bopper. That's for sure. Richardson attended Lamar College, where he studied, as I mentioned, pre-law he did follow through with his pre-law studies and was a member of the band and chorus his radio career began soon after jp saw local beaumont texas radio station ktrm's owner speak at lamar college that radio station does exist however now it's called kzzb after that he worked part-time at the station until he was hired on full-time in 1949 and quit college Career underway on April 18, 1952, he married Adrian Joy Friu. He credited her with mending his heart, and her influence on him can be heard in J.P.'s plaintive country western waltz, Beggar to a King. And we have our first fun fact! Adrian was nicknamed Tsetse because her father said she was no bigger than a Tsetse fly. That's cute. That is cute. I wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> when I was growing up, my, my nickname was either killer or knee-high. Knee-high? Knee-high to a grasshopper. Yeah, that makes sense. You're you're very short. I am very short. I don't say that as a bad thing. I'm just saying. Oh, no, I love being short. (laughs) I love being teensy. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I'm fun-sized. Yeah. Uh, Mine, my grandma used to call me Tilly. Why is that? Uh, Her grandmother called her Tilly. Oh, that's cute. little legacy nickname. Yeah. Well, she kind of called the... A few of the grandkids, Tilly, from time to time, but me mostly. Yeah. Will is uh, Will is Trey. Will's nanny calls is him he Trey. A third? Yep. Yeah, I was going to say. Yep. That happens quite a bit. It was really confusing, though, because the first time I met Nanny, she hugged she hugged Will and was like, I love you, Trey. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> and I didn't know that was like a nickname for a third, because William is William Hickey the third. Right. So I, I didn't know that was a, a thing. But of course, yeah. I was only 23. So yeah, not a lot. Of, well, I've given this man most of my life. Damn it. I <laughs> you better appreciate me. <laughs> I've just learned this recently, actually. So don't feel bad. And then I figured out Chip is generally a nickname for a second. So like my Chip is a second. Because it's a chip off the old block. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. Cool. Fun nicknames. Yeah, I like it. All right. Moving on. They had a daughter. Named Deborah Joy, that was born in 1953. Soon after his daughter's birth, Richardson was promoted to supervisor of announcers at KTRM. In March 1955, he was drafted into the United States Army and did his basic training at Fort Ord, California. He spent the rest of his two year service as a radar instructor at Fort Bliss in El Paso, Texas. Richardson returned to KTRM radio following his discharge as a corporal in March 1957 where he held down the dishwasher serenade shift from 11 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. One of the station's sponsors 
wanted Richardson for a new time slot and suggested an idea for a show. Richardson had seen college students doing a dance called The Bop, and he decided to call himself The Big Bopper. His new radio show ran from 3 to 6 p.m., and he soon became the station's program director. Oh, that's drive time, too. So that's yeah. like, that's a big slot. That's prime time, baby. Yeah. That is that is the equivalent of 8 p.m. on a Thursday. Yeah. That's huge. Good for him. Yeah. And he was a corporal? Yeah. When, when he discharged from the Army, he had made it to corporal. Impressive. Corporal bopper. <laughs> that is corporal bopper to you, madam. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In May 1957, he broke the record for continuous on-air broadcasting by eight minutes. That's so cool. He performed for a total of five days, two hours, and eight minutes from a remote setup in the lobby of the Jefferson Theater in downtown Beaumont, playing 1,821 records and taking showers during five-minute newscasts. Jeez, go to bed, dude. Yeah, he was on his microphone for five days Two hours and eight minutes. We get antsy after two hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? By the third, like if we if we end up going longer than two hours, we start getting real bad, real punchy. And that only has happened once, and that was our first episode, and we went four hours, and I thought me and you were going to have a knockdown drag out after it, so. Yep. <laughs> because, I mean, we were having fun, but at the same time, it's like, oh my God, shush. <laughs> and there are days... Even in the hour to two hour zone, we're like, okay, stop. Yep. <laughs> Enough. Yep. <laughs> so good for him for making it five days. Yeah. Yikes. So after this, Richardson is getting more involved with like songwriting and kind of starting more of a musical career. I'll touch more on the songwriting in a little bit because I want to cover his own career first. So the man who launched Richardson as a recording artist was Harold Pappy Daly from Houston. Daly was promotion director for Mercury and Starday Records and signed Richardson to Mercury. Richardson's first single, Beggar to a King, had a country flavor but failed to gain any chart action. He soon cut Chantilly Lace as the big bopper for Pappy Daly's D-label. Mercury bought the record and released it at the end of June 1958. It slowly began picking up airplay through July and August and reached number six on the pop charts, spending 22 weeks in the national top 40. So if you're not familiar with the song, you know, LD and I kind of did a little riff earlier, but um, the song, in the song, Richardson pretends to have a flirting phone conversation with his girlfriend. The record was comical in nature, with the Big Bopper presenting an exaggerated but good-natured caricature of a ladies' man. Thus the, hello, baby. I love you, but he does it better. Of course he does. <laughs> you be nice. <laughs> in November 1958, he scored a second hit with the raucous novelty tune entitled The Big Bopper's Wedding, in which Richardson pretends to be getting cold feet at the altar. Both Chantilly Lace and The Big Bopper's Wedding received top 40 airplay through January of 1959. And here's the thing. His music career, much like Richie Valens, was not that far along yet. I mean, I mean, Chantilly Lace released in June of 1958, and the plane crash was that following February. So again, very, very short career before this tragic, horrible accident. Something else that was really cool about him was that he actually had a lot of ideas to build out on for the music business. He, had a, he just had a lot of really cool ideas. And one of them we're all from, very familiar with at this point in time. So in an interview conducted shortly before the crash, Richardson talked about a big change he foresaw in the music business. Songs being recorded visually. This wasn't just idle talk. JP actually recorded three music videos in 1958 before his death. According to Bill Griggs, editor of the Rockin' 50s music magazine, Richardson actually coined the term music video in an early 1959 interview. At the time of his death, it was reported that he was preparing to start production on music videos specifically intended for television. He even had hopes of producing a specially designed jukebox, which would play music videos. He had hoped his singing would generate the money needed for all his music business plans. So the music videos that he that he filmed, he filmed three music videos before he died. Those are the first music videos ever created. Yeah. And my thought was always that it was the monkeys that mm -hmm. kind of pioneered that. But he predates the monkeys by literally a decade. Yeah. Because I think Sleepy Jean came out in 1968. 
So yeah. So technically, if YouTube was a jukebox and not on the internet, he came up with that. <laughs> Great metaphor. Good one. <laughs> I would have loved to see one of those a jukebox that plays music videos. That'd be cool. Yeah, it's called your computer. Well, now, but back then, no. And this was predates MTV and all that back when MTV used to play music. Yeah. What show would they have aired on, though? Just like the variety shows or? But I think that was his idea was that he just wanted to. I think maybe he had the idea for MTV. I don't know. Well, Top of the Pops was doing it before MTV. So. Well, but you know what I mean. British were ahead of us. Yeah. On that. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very cool idea. It's a very cool idea. And unfortunately, he passed too soon for us to see what he was going to do with it. Yeah. Sucks. Yeah. And again, like I say, his career, unfortunately, was very short. So we're already to that fateful day. Yeah. I mean, Richie's was short. His was only eight months. Yeah. So, I mean, it. this took away a lot. This accident took away a lot of potential. That's just it. I mean, and the Big Bopper, technically, he did have a longer career than that, if you consider that he started at the, well, yeah, he had about a 10-year career, if you look at his work at the radio station but as a musical artist it was very short-lived um because yeah june to february that's eight months roughly from when he had the hit with chantilly lace like granted he released beggar to a king earlier but yeah rough stuff with the success of chantilly lace richardson took time off from ktrm radio and joined buddy holly richie valens and Dion and the Belmonts for a winter dance party tour starting on January 23, 1959. Tizi, his wife, who hated Jake being on the road, particularly disliked him going off on the winter dance party tour because she was five months pregnant with their second child, Jay. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, and Buddy Holly's wife was, was pregnant. She was only two weeks pregnant when they left. We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. But, yeah, they were both pregnant. Both wives were pregnant. So on the 11th night of the tour, February 2nd, 1959, they played at the Surf Ballroom in Clear Lake, Iowa. And again, we kind of covered this a little bit with Richie Valens, too. And we'll cover it again with Buddy Holly. But it's just the events are the events. That night, Holly chartered an airplane from Dwyer Flying Service in Mason City, Iowa, intending to fly himself and his bandmates, Waylon Jennings and Tommy Alsup, to their next tour venue in Moorhead, Minnesota. The musicians had been traveling by bus for over a week, and it had already broken down twice. Plus, as LD pointed out last week, the heater was broken. And this is northern Midwest in the winter. It's cold. And the drummer had already been hospitalized for frostbite. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was cold enough to send people to the hospital. Yeah. They were tired... They had not been paid yet, and all their clothes were dirty. The chartered flight would allow them to avoid another arduous bus ride, arrive early before the Moorhead show, do their laundry, and get some rest. Local pilot Roger Peterson of Dwyer Flying Service, age 21, had agreed to take them. The weather forecast for the Clear Lake area was 18 degrees Fahrenheit. 18 degrees! I'm done. No, we're done. It's cold. If you happen to be elsewhere, that's centigrade. That was negative eight degrees. Oh, and it's even worse when you put it that way. Yeah. I get I get cold opening up the fridge. So Yeah. That's that cold. is that is cold. That night there was also moderate gusty winds and light scattered snow. And Peterson was fatigued from a seventeen hour workday, but he agreed to fly the trip anyways. Okay, so one second here. So you have a pilot who has four years of teachings, you know, four years of practicing, but he just worked a 17-hour day and was going to yeah. take this flight Yeah, in inclement weather. And from I, now, forgive me if I'm wrong, I've only found it from one. I only found this in one source. It was one of the uh, YouTube clips. So if it is incorrect, I do apologize but from what I heard, he was not experienced in flying in this kind of weather, and he didn't have the kind of clearance that it takes to fly in this kind of weather. So I'm going to get there. Okay. But, I mean, it just, this is, it, it's one of those seconds from disaster, perfect storm kind of things. Yep. 
LD's already panicking. This is her worst nightmare. I, this is <laughs> I can feel my chest. I can, my, I can tell it's like radiating off of you. <laughs> I am my chest is tightening like I'm getting short of breath. Like I this is this is my personal nightmare. I'm I'm scared. We'll get, we'll get through it. We'll okay. get through it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Frankie Sardo went to meet the crowd. While Holly went into one of the dressing rooms at the surf ballroom where he had notified Alsip and Jennings that he had chartered a plane to take them to Fargo, North Dakota, which, as I noted in the last episode, is right across the river from Moorhead, Minnesota. Like the the state divide is the Red River that separates North Dakota and Minnesota right there. On a friendly wager, Valens flipped a coin with Alsip for his seat on the plane and won which we mentioned last week. Meanwhile, J.P. Richardson, a.k.a. the Big Bopper, was suffering from the flu and was complaining that the bus was too cold and uncomfortable for him. He also needed to squeeze in a visit to the doctor before their next performance. So, Waylon Jennings voluntarily surrendered his seat to Richardson. Upon hearing that his bandmates had given away their plane seats, Buddy Holly joked, Well, I hope your old bus freezes up again. Jennings jokingly replied, well, I hope your old plane crashes. Oh, God. Yeah. Those words haunted Jennings for the rest of his life. Obviously. Rightly so. I mean, it's understandable that he's just teasing and joking around and then it comes to fruition. Like, that would be just horrible. (laughs) The Clear Lake show ended at around midnight and Holly, Valens, and Richardson drove to the Mason City Airport, loaded their luggage, and boarded the red and white single-engine Beechcraft Bonanza. Peterson received clearance from the control tower around 12.55 a.m. on February 3rd, 1959, and they took off. But the plane remained airborne for only a few minutes. It slammed into the ground at full throttle shortly after takeoff, about five miles outside Mason City in the middle of farm country. The reason remains unknown, but Peterson may have lost his visual reference and thought that he was ascending while he was actually descending. The right wing tip of the Beechcraft Bonanza sliced into the frozen ground and sent the aircraft cartwheeling across a cleared cornfield at approximately 170 miles per hour. Again, if you're metric, that's 270 kilometers per hour. So very fast. Have you have you seen pictures of uh, we're not going to post pictures of the crash site. We don't do that here. But have you no. seen the photos or the video of it? I saw one kind of photo like it was kind of fuzzy. So, yeah, I didn't, I didn't look too closely at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not there, for me. I'm not that morbid. Look, there there are, there are lines and that is crossing one for me, especially that that I just I can't I can't bring myself to it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want to see that. I don't think. Holly Valens and Richardson were ejected from the plane on impact and probably tumbled along with the wreckage across the icy field before the mangled plane came to rest against a barbed wire fence while Peterson's body remained entangled in the main mass of plane wreckage. The bodies of Holly and Valens came to rest several feet away from the wreckage on open ground while Richardson was thrown approximately 100 feet or 30 meters beyond the wreckage across the fence line and into the next cornfield. All three died instantly of massive head and chest injuries. There are some conspiracy theories or were some conspiracy theories and rumors surrounding the Big Bopper's death. So I'm going to come back to that in in a little bit here. Yeah. And a lot of those conspiracy theories were surrounded, were surrounding the fact that he was so much further than everybody else. You know, I love a good conspiracy theory. So I know you do. That's why I had to. Squeeze it in. I.e. just look at our month of April coming up. Woohoo. Oh, yeah. So I kind of mentioned it already, um, but the plane in which they were killed was a single-engine, four-passenger Beechcraft Bonanza. Investigations showed the plane was properly maintained and in good operating order at the time of the crash. The Civil Aeronautics Board concluded the following as the probable cause of the accident. This is a direct quote, so if some of the wording seems weird to you, I'm sorry. It's just... This is directly quoted for accuracy. The pilot's unwise decision to embark on a flight which would necessitate flying solely by instruments when he was not properly certificated 
or qualified to do so. Contributing factors were serious deficiencies in the weather briefing and the pilot's unfamiliarity with the instrument, which determines the altitude of the aircraft. So in layman's terms, the pilot wasn't certified for this. Yeah, basically. They're, they're, to put it briefly, they cited pilot error. So, yeah, operator error. Yeah. H- human error. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, as I mentioned earlier, he worked 17 hours. He wasn't certified for these instruments. And, yeah, he's only 21 years old, though, too, and so it's tragic. But also, like, you can't, you can't fault the kid. No, he Be- tried. Because, I mean, well, you can fault the kid. The aviation administration did. But think about it. You're at the end of a 17-hour day, and Buddy Holly calls and says, we need a ride. Yeah, he's like, pro- he's gonna say okay. Yeah, one of the one of the biggest rock stars in the world's like, hey, can you fly my band? This kid's probably like, yeah, it's like a two hour flight. Let me do this. Yeah. So I, it's a bummer and it freaks me out and I'm I'm very sad. But I mean, the pilot lost his life as well and his family has had to yep. kind of deal with that for sixty years. And so. again, very young. He was only twenty one. So now we've got the pilot was twenty one. Richie Valens was only seventeen. The big bopper was only twenty eight. Yeah. Like. These are young men that lost their lives. It's tragic. Yeah. Richardson was survived by his wife, Adrienne Joy Wenner, and four-year-old daughter, Deborah. Did she give birth? So, yeah. So, his son, Jay, uh, his son, Jay Perry Richardson, was born two months after JP's death in April. So, he was premature? Yeah. I'm guessing. Because yeah, I thought he was only... That's seven months. Yeah. Unless... Unless I had the wrong date of like how far along she was pregnancy wise, but I think she was only six months. I think it said she was six months pregnant. Five, I thought you said five. Well, she was six months when he died. Okay. So he was five. So she was five months pregnant when they went on tour. Okay, got it. <clears throat> Sorry, math, math. At the time of his death, Richardson had been building a recording studio in his home in Beaumont, Texas, and was planning to invest in a radio station. Uh, I believe I found that information. I don't know why I didn't write it here, but I think it was supposed to be in Colorado that he was buying the radio. He wanted to buy a radio station in Colorado. Mm. He had written 20 new songs that he had planned to record himself or with other artists. Devastated by the loss of the husband she adored, Adrian blamed the music industry and avoided any connection with it during the decades after his death. A widow's heartbreak meant that a huge talent's musical legacy faded. Mm-hmm. So that's why I couldn't find more. <laughs> but fair enough. <laughs> and I don't blame her. You know, she didn't like that he when he was on tour. She didn't like. She didn't want him to leave because she was pregnant. Like she, now she's heartbroken. Mm-hmm. She lost her husband. So as a result of this, today only 19 of the Big Bopper's recordings survived. Although Chantilly Lace went gold during his lifetime, J.P. had less than $100 in his bank account when he died at age 28 and never even had a chance to pick up his gold record plaque for it. Like, that's a bummer. Mm, That that sucks. The Big Bopper would also have three posthumous number one hits. And because we need one, fun fact! His son would also follow a musical career, so Jay Perry went on to be a musician. And was known professionally as the Big Bopper Jr. Oh. Performing around the world. He toured on the Winter Dance Party Tour with Buddy Holly impersonator John Mueller on some of the same stages where his father had performed. Oh, see, that's a really sweet legacy. Yeah, it's cute. Now of Richardson's songwriting, which I mentioned a little bit ago, and I told you I'd get back to it. Well, here we are. George Jones who was an early cohort from his KTRM career, recorded Richardson's White Lightning following Richardson's death on February 9th, 1959, a mere six days after the tragic passing of his friend. Released on May 26, 1959, the song would go on to become Jones's first number one country hit and number 73 on the pop charts. Now, White Lightning, is that about moonshine? <laughs> yeah. okay before i quit drinking i will say through other channels i managed to procure some moonshine like actual moonshine like 
made in the woods through a carburetor, but it was the Carolina Crippler. And (laughs) I think there was a reason why they call it the Carolina Crippler, because I went blind for two hours and uh, it was the, it was the worst hangover I think I've ever had. (laughs) Yeah. Moonshine's no joke, yo. No. If you can get like the, the real stuff, like the mountain stuff, it, oh, oh. That might be the reason why I quit drinking. <laughs> yeah, I think that would probably, that might at least stall me for a little while. Guess what time it is. With Progressive's Name Your Price tool, you can find options that fit your budget. Because giving you options is the right thing to do. Oh yeah, like when I hold the door for someone. Sure, it may be weird if I don't time it right and they're a little too far away and oh, now they're running. And we're both asking ourselves, is it worth it to run instead of just, you know, letting them open their own door? But still, it's the right thing to do. So get options based on your needs with Progressive's Name Your Price tool. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. It's time to get ill? No, it's time for another fun fact. Oh, I like fun facts. Yeah. In his 1997 autobiography, I Live to Tell It All, Jones recalls arriving for the recording session drunk. So the track <laughs> took roughly 80 takes to complete. Oh my God. Although he was notorious for his drinking habits at the time, it is speculated that in this incident, it was prompted by the passing of his friend whose song he was recording. I can only imagine. Because he don't... Six as days. I, as I mentioned, it only... From the time when he passed away to the time that they were recording, it was only six days. Yeah, I, I get that. I can understand that. Yeah. The crazy thing to me is that the the winter, was it? Winter dance party? Yeah. It, what was crazy to me was that the winter dance party continued. Yeah. Like, they did that show that night. They just replaced the... Oh, my God. I mean, <laughs> they have all the bookings already, I guess. I know, I know. but... Still, today, if something like that happened, they would cancel at least that show. Yeah. And people would understand. Yeah. Hey, guess what? Is it another fun fact? Yeah, I have three on this. Okay. (laughs) On this song. I thought it was really, it was interesting. Um, So, fun fact, fun fact number two. Even Even though they recorded 80 takes and actually the upright bass player on it, Threatened not only to quit, but also to harm Jones. <laughs> like to physically harm George Jones for being drunk. So it took so many takes because his fingers were all bloody and, oh, God. you know, upright bass. Like he's dying oh. <laughs> for 80 takes. Producer Pappy Daly ultimately opted to use the first take of the recording. Dude. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. You use take 80. Just because. (laughs) Well, and I guess when they were talking, and I don't have the direct quote or anything because I didn't include it. I should have. But I guess when they were talking to the biographers later, somebody told them, it's like, well, like we did 80 takes, but it just, it never quite, it never quite got where they wanted it to be as much as the first one. Yeah. Also, that song is two minutes and 45 seconds long. So... It's kind of a tongue twister, too. Multiply that by 80. <laughs> yeah. And I can see why the bass player would want to kill him. Well, yeah. Plus, there's time in between the takes and whatnot, you know. So, fun fact number three. Due to Jones's inebriation, he flubbed the word slug in the third verse. And he kind of, like, stutters. The mistake is obviously in the recording and in the released version so he intentionally mimics it in live performances. Rip. So he mimics that on stage when he performs it live. If you hadn't told me that was in there, I probably would have never noticed. Well, now you do. Okay. <laughs> Learning. Again, fun, they're fun facts for a reason. Yep. You know, we need them sometimes. This gets pretty heavy otherwise. So that was White Lightning. Richardson had also written a song called Running Bear for Johnny Preston, his friend from Port Arthur, Texas. The inspiration for the song came from Richardson's childhood memory of the Sabine River, where he heard stories about Indian tribes. Richardson sang background on Running Bear before the crash, but the recording was not released until August 1959, six months after his death. The song became a number one hit for three weeks in January 1960. 
So he doesn't always get credit for those two songs, uh, but he did write them. So I wanted to mention them. In 1988, Ken Paquette, a Wisconsin fan of the 1950s era, erected a stainless steel monument at the crash site depicting a guitar and a set of three records bearing the names of each of the three performers. It is located on private farmland about one quarter mile west of the intersection of 315th Street and Gull Avenue, about eight miles north of Clear Lake. And because I can, I have a fun fact. Paquette also created a similar stainless steel monument to the three near the Riverside Ballroom in Green Bay, Wisconsin. The memorial was unveiled on July 17th, 2003. Is that the one that looks like Buddy Holly's glasses? I don't know. In its accident report, the Civil Aeronautics Board said pilot error was the cause of the crash. The report didn't mention a gun belonging to Holly that was found by a farmer two months after the crash. So here's kind of where those conspiracy theories started showing up. I'm all ears. Go. Yeah. Newspaper accounts of the gun discovery fueled rumors among fans that the pilot was somehow shot causing the crash. The owner of the flying service added to the conspiracy theory by insisting his pilot was not at fault, saying the pilot must have been, quote, incapacitated. Okay, but didn't they look at the body and figure out there wasn't a bullet hole in him? Yeah, it's kind of an odd thing, because you would think. (laughs) Because at the time of the crash, the pilot was the only one that had an autopsy. The other three did not. Huh. So, yeah. So you'd think if if, if he had been shot, they would have found it, but maybe his remains were too mangled. And, and, you know, the forensics back then, not as advanced as they are now. Yeah. I'm figuring the the autopsy was probably to figure out if he was was drunk. Drunk or, yeah. Otherwise incapacitated, I'm assuming. Right. Yeah. And I say at the time, he was the only one that had an autopsy. So you know what's coming. (laughs) I think I do. Yeah. So in January 2007. That late? Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. Jay Richardson, the Big Bopper's son, requested that his father's body be exhumed and an autopsy be performed in response to an internet rumor about guns being fired aboard the aircraft and whether or not Richardson may have somehow survived the crash impact and died trying to go for help because he was so far away from the the plane site, the crash site, versus everybody else. So, conspiracies and rumors. So he has daddy's body dug up. The autopsy was performed by Dr. William M. Bass, a forensic or bass. Sorry, not sure. Spelled the same. Give me a break. I've only seen it written. (laughs) Right? I've never heard it. As a forensic anthropologist at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, Richardson Jr. was present throughout the autopsy and observed the casket as it was opened. Both men were surprised that the remains were well enough preserved to be recognized as those of the late rock star. Jay told the Associated Press, quote, Dad still amazes me 48 years after his death that he was in remarkable shape. I surprised myself. I handled it better than I thought I would. Dr. Bass's findings indicated no signs of foul play. Quote, There are fractures from head to toe, massive fractures. Richardson died immediately. He didn't crawl away. He didn't walk away from the plane. So it makes you wonder, like, why did his body end up so so far from the crash site? Mm-hmm. And maybe it could have been, I don't know if they had seatbelts on the plane. Maybe he wasn't wearing one and maybe everybody else was. That could be. I Not sure. I don't know. Yeah. Not sure. Richardson's body was placed in a new casket made by the same company as the original and was reburied next to his wife in Beaumont's Forest Lawn Cemetery because by this point, she his wife has passed on i think she died in i want to say 2004 okay yeah 2004 and because this is getting really heavy i'll add my own fun fact i think that beaumont texas is where footloose takes place (laughs) (laughs) nice (sighs) jay richardson jr allowed the old casket to be displayed at the texas musicians museum in december 2008 and this is slightly morbid, and I'm sorry. He announced that he would be placing the old casket up for auction on eBay, donating a share of the proceeds to the Texas Musicians Museum. But he downplayed the suggestion in later interviews. He died 
on August 24th, 2013. Aww. C3 Entertainment. Wait, how old was he? Uh, 2013, so he was... So he did math. He was 54. And I also looked up a picture of him, and he looks so much like his dad. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That is uncanny. C3 Entertainment currently handles the rights to the Richardson estate through an agreement with Jay's widow, Patty. JP's pioneering contribution to the genre has been recognized by the Rockabilly Hall of Fame. The Big Bopper is fondly remembered not only for his distinctive singing and songwriting, but also as a humorist who combined the best elements of country, R&B, and rock and roll. In 2010, Richardson was also inducted into the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Notice somebody's missing? We'll get to it. Richardson's name is mentioned as one of the upcoming musical acts in both the print and television versions of Stephen King's short story, You Know They Got a Hell of a Band, about a town inhabited by late musical legends. Buddy Holly is subsequently featured in the story. And you know that line? What? You know they have a hell of a band? Yeah. That is where I got the name of this podcast. Yeah. Rock and Roll Heaven. But that's, that is a line from the song Rock and Roll Heaven by right. the Isley Brothers, and that's our theme song, and that's how we got the name of this podcast. Right. That's probably how Stephen King got that. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Shortly after the fatal plane crash, Tommy D. wrote and recorded a song titled Three Stars in tribute to Richardson, Holly, and Valens. It was later recorded by Eddie Cochran, a friend of the three musicians who himself would, you know, unfortunately, die prematurely a year later in an automobile crash. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Van Halen's song Good Enough from their 1986 album 5150, 5150, whichever you want to call that. It's 5150 because it means that you're crazy. Yeah. Yeah, 5150. Begins with singer Sammy Hagar calling out, Hello, baby! Imitating the Big Bopper's hook in Chantilly Lace. Phil Lewis of L.A. Guns does the same in their song 17 Crash from their 1989 album Cocked and Loaded. The Simpsons episode, Sideshow Bob Roberts, features a gravestone of the Big Bopper in Springfield that, that Sideshow Bob used to help commit voter fraud and become elected for mayor. The gravestone is a bust of the Big Bopper holding a telephone receiver with the epitaph reading, The Big Bopper, his birth and death years, then a parody on the memorable hook reading, Goodbye, baby. Oh, that's poor taste. <laughs> right? Well, it's The Simpsons. Damn, Matt Gronin. Yeah. He also appeared as a vampire holding a telephone in an itchy and scratchy cartoon no. during the. <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> yeah. Uh. During the episode C.E. Dope. Well, you didn't, you, you didn't say that right. It's C.E. Dope. Yeah, I, I'm not doing that. Okay, I just did it for you. <laughs> <laughs> An episode of The X-Files features the Big Bopper as well. The episode is called Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose. Well, now I'm going to go watch that because it's on Prime. See, there you go. The Big Bopper's estate is currently owned by his daughter-in-law, Patty Richardson, and managed by C3 Entertainment, a company that specializes in classic brands. C3 Entertainment currently manages an official tribute band featuring a Big Bopper impersonator touring with the Winter Dance Party. Because it is still happening, by the way. Really? Yeah. I feel like we need to go to it. Yeah, it's annual. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's go. We should go. Oh, wait. Is it cold? Yes. I'm out. (laughs) In 2019, the Winter Dance Party debuted the documentary film Bopper and Me at the Surf Ballroom. Filmmaker David Taylor centered the documentary around John Cumberland, a big bopper enthusiast from County Durham, England, and his quest to have Richardson inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame alongside previous inductees Buddy Holly and Richie Valens. Because, you know. He should be. All three of them should have been inducted together, I would, you know, I would think. But I have words for not. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Me too. I have many. In an interview with the Globe Gazette, Cumberland explained, Buddy Holly and Richie Valens were both inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and J.P. Richardson, the Big Bopper, just hasn't had that privilege. So I took it upon myself to try to get him into it. The film chronicles Cumberland's 8,000-mile journey around the U.S. to various locations where the Big Bopper played and to the Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, ending at the Surf Ballroom, for one of the winter dance parties, building interest in his petition. 
and collecting signatures, obviously, I'm guessing. Although he's been eligible since 1983, which is 25 years after the release of your first commercial recording, which would be Chantilly Lace, the Big Bopper has yet to be recognized. All right, rock and roll heaven people. We have a goal. Yep. Let's get him in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Woo! This is a call to action. Yeah. Because that's a real shame. That's not that's, that's not cool. Yeah, it's really unfair. I mean, Richie Valens and Buddy Holly are both there. Why would you not have the Big Bopper included? We'll figure out. Yeah. We'll figure out how to work on that petition. Yeah, no joke. We're, we're with you, Cumberland. Yep. You got our backing, dude. Yeah. Big Bopper also appears in various books and films and stage in tributes in Not Fade Away, a turbulent road novel taking place at the end of the 50s. Jim Dodge narrates an eventful trip to the Big Bopper's grave. Richardson was portrayed by Gaylord Sartain in the Buddy Holly story, Stephen Lee in La Bamba, and John Ennis in Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. <laughs> okay, side note, I was actually in Dewey Cox. Nice. <laughs> you can see my head in like the mob scene. Like after he plays a gig and like all the kids start like smoking and drinking and making out. I'm one of the kids that's like on the car smoking. Nice. Mom's so proud. <laughs> on the London stage, Richardson has been portrayed by John Simon Rawlings and Steve Dorsett in the musical Buddy, the Buddy Holly story. Jason Blackwater in the 2013-14 25th anniversary UK National Tour, and Thomas Mitchell's in the 2016-17 UK National Tour. Chantilly Lace is used in the movies True Romance and American Graffiti, as well as High Spirits. Song, not movie. <laughs> the character Dragoon is referenced as being the big bopper, as is his partner slash body host Red Mantle being Buddy Holly in the animated series The Venture Brothers. That's all I have. That's the life of the big bopper. Very good. And posthumous appearances. I learned so much today because I I only knew his songs. So I didn't know about his life. And it's really sad because I feel like anytime someone references this, it's the Buddy Holly crash. Right. Like it's it's never the Richie Valens crash or the Big Bopper crash. It's like the, everybody focuses on Buddy Holly. And I feel like the Big Bopper deserves his time. So thank you for this episode. That was really good. Thank you. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed doing the research on it. And I, you know, like I say, I learned a lot too. And there was some really fun, fun facts in there. Yeah. You didn't send me like the panicked text you usually do. It's like, I'm trying to edit. Yeah. <laughs> like you. Yeah. This was definitely, there was definitely a lot more digging this time to get everything together than sometimes it's like 20 pages just on Wikipedia. And it's like, ah! yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I tried, you know, I try to use other sources too so that there's some other information and, it, you know, I can vet it and make sure it's all accurate. But, you know, this time it was a little lighter, so I had to do a little more digging. I think I actually used, I used seven sources this time. That's great. And we will post those on our show notes. So yeah. if you're interested in kind of learning a little bit more about the Big Bopper and his family, uh, you can feel free to go check those sources out as well. Um, but that's, I I really enjoy that. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, and if you enjoyed it and you want to give us money, you can do that at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven. And we are still giving away for the $10 level. If you donate at the $10 level, you get to choose the subject of the episode and the person who does it. So get over there and make that donation. Yeah. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at Rock and Roll LT. You can find us on Facebook at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Our Instagram is Rock and Roll Heaven LT. Still not saying our website. And you can email us at Rock and Roll Heaven LT at gmail.com. If I said that too fast, don't worry, it'll be in the show notes. Yeah. And that is it for this episode. Check us out next episode where we're going to be talking about Buddy Holly. Who? Uh, it was a, a Weezer song. Oh, I Damn. like that song. Yeah. Ooh, wee, ooh, I look just like Buddy Holly. Oh, oh, and you're Mary Tyler Moore. <laughs> I don't care what they say about us anyway. I don't care about that. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. we're nerds. Yep. Um, <laughs> 
No, I'm a total nerd. It's okay. Yep. Uh, so <laughs> check that out next week, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, we will talk to you soon. Hey, TJ. Yeah. It's raining. Yes, it is. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> it's cold and it's raining. Hello, baby. Yeah, this is the Big Bopper speaking. <laughs> oh, you sweet thing. Do I want? Will I want? Oh, baby, you know what I like. Chantilly lace and a pretty face and a ponytail hanging down. Big-eyed girl that make me act so funny Make me spend my money Make me feel real loose Like a long-necked goose Like a girl Oh, baby, that's what I like What's that, baby? But 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 Chantilly lace and a pretty face and a ponytail hanging down, a wiggle in the walk and a giggle in the talk. Lord, make the world go round, round, round. There ain't nothing in the world like a big-eyed girl to make me act so funny, make me spend my money, make me feel real loose like a long-necked goose, like a girl. Oh, baby, that's the one I like. What's that, honey? Pick you up at eight. And don't be late. But baby, I ain't got no money, honey. <laughs> oh, all right, honey, you know what I like. Chantilly lace and a pretty face, on it tail, hanging down, a wiggle in the walk and a giggle in the tall low. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.